Good afternoon, and welcome to Tokyo on Fire. Today is April 24th, 2015. Today's burning issue is nuclear power in Japan. The reason why it's a burning issue today is because all of the nuclear reactors have been shut down. Japan has 54 of them. They provide about 20-30% of Japan's overall power. Court battles are going on on the safety and the, the restart of these uh, nuclear power facilities. And for an island country that is dependent on outside resources for its fuel, more than uh, 95% of its fuel is from outside uh, resources or generated internally through nuclear power, uh, this is a huge issue. It's topical right now, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Michael Chuchek. Michael Chuchek is adjunct professor at Sofia University, and he's teaching political science. He is also adjunct fellow at Temple University. He is the author of the foremost blog on Japanese political issues called Shisaku. So before we get into the burning issue today, I'd like to just ask Michael what kind of issues he's facing now through his daily life as he's advising clients, friends, colleagues, and as he's going about his daily life in teaching Japan's upcoming academics. What issues are kind of front and center right now, Michael? For me this week, what's really been important is really a technical issue. It seems kind of really dull, but it's really important in terms of the, what, the burning issue that we're talking about today. And that is the base load percentage. I mean, well, I'm sure our, half of the audience is already asleep when they hear that, but that's really <laughs> important is that up until now, the government has been really cagey about how much nuclear power Japan will, will be using. They have been trying to say, a lot, some, uh, a great deal. But Fossil never, fuels balanced to nuclear. They say there's a balance of something, but never getting down to hard numbers. Mm -hmm. And they even released a national energy plan with no hard numbers in it and earned universal scorn for avoiding this issue. Finally, this week, after the first round of the local elections with the LDP winning very big, or at least doing better than anybody could have expected even a few weeks ago. Uh, this issue of restarting the nuclear power plants seems to have gone down a little bit in terms of the sensitivity. And in as a consequence, the government seems to have a lot more confidence. And this week, just, the other, just yesterday, they came out finally with a number. The number is 22%. Now, 22% of the base load means more than a dozen nuclear power plants have to restart in order to supply this amount of power. So we're looking at a list of nuclear power plants that's longer than the current list of the, the short list of plants that are on for restart. Okay. And for you, what's the most striking thing this week? Well, you know, as we've spoken before, uh, the prime minister is going to Washington DC next week, uh, towards the middle of next week. He'll be in the United States for a week. This is huge for me because Direction will be determined, and uh, meetings will be had, things will be said. It's a huge opportunity for Japan to come front and center to begin to explain its position on various issues, military, um, regional security, a lot of things that involve the United States in particular. That's hot on my plate. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition, the AIIB, the Regional Asian Development Bank, recently launched by China, and the admission of Japan into that. And finally, TPP. I think that uh, the Japanese are roundly considering uh, to join the Asia Pacific Regional uh, Trading Partnership. And I think uh, the Prime Minister is in a position to make some sort of an announcement 
when he goes to Washington, D.C., everybody's waiting for that. So those are issues that I'm following. Okay, getting into our burning issue today, which is Japan's nuclear power. Mm -hmm. You know, one could be forgiven for thinking with 127 million people on an island country that is continually attacked and, and suffers from massive earthquakes, tsunami, all sorts of disasters, erupting volcanoes. What in the hell are you doing with nuclear power? Yeah, and that's, a, that's one of the arguments that was used against the uh, Sendai nuclear power plant, the first one that, to get official recognition and official pr approval by the nuclear regulatory agency, the new one that they've put together. Uh, it was the first one, and, and the local communities that were against this restart immediately said, what if one of the large volcanoes nearby erupts, which happens rather frequently? And you haven't thought about that, and they brought them to court. Uh, this idea of having nuclear power plants in an, 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 a re, on the ring of fire, as it's called, in uh, the Pacific, uh, seems a bit daft. And uh, Many they, people actually laughed, didn't they? Well, With the volcanoes ex erupting and big earthquakes? Well, the thing is, it, it, I mean, there's a real problem in terms of siting. Okay, you have to put the power plant in a geologically stable site, of which there's practically none. There are practically none in Japan. But you also have to put them in a politically stable site. And that's the tricky business in terms of this particular uh, issue, in that the siting of nuclear power plants is not based on economic efficiency, or you know, power lines being closest to them or things like that. It was based according to the research by Daniel Aldrich of Purdue University, on a single criteria. Site selection. Site selection was done based on a lack of community. That the places where you would put these very, well, uh, unwanted, if not, they, they may not have been terribly dangerous, but they were still undesirable plants, always turned out to be places where people had very few social bonds, mm -hmm. where the communities were rather weak. And unsurprisingly, once the nuclear power plants were built there, the communities became dependent on them and are now uh, clamoring for their return or the restarts, except of course in Fukushima where the local communities disappeared because <laughs> they had to be evacuated. Uh, this issue of having these nuclear power plants in communities that they want them, uh, where, they, where they're wanted, but which were marginal communities, which are places that are don't have social bonds. This, this kind of, of attention uh, exists politically, not economically, not geographically, I mean, not geophysically. But uh, what happens then is there are nuclear power plants in places where there simply should not be in terms of geophysics, mm -hmm. near fault lines, near volcanoes, near geologically active places where no geologist would ever put them, but that's where the community was weak. Mm -hmm. And there are several of these plants that will never reopen, that the courts will never allow. Uh, the Tsuruga plant, for example, which if you, if you look at it a map, from a map, you, you, from someone like me from California, where you look at things, you say, okay, that's where the fault is. You see it's right on a fault. And you say, there's no way anyone would have ever put that there. Well, they keep carving the, the, the hillside with trawls, don't they? Yeah, don't yeah they? they're, they're constantly saying, is it an active is, fault? Is it moving? Has it, has right. it moved in the last 100,000 years? Has it moved in the last 10,000 years? And you know, as a Californian, 
I, I, I say I just laugh because mm -hmm. you, you really are are playing literally with fire, which of course nuclear power plants are. Right. But uh, this to place it there, how did it ever get there? Well, it's because nobody else wanted it. Mm -hmm. Well, here's I guess the dilemma: uh, Japan is an en energy dependent nation. Mm -hmm. All the energy it has, I mean, there is some water resources that produce uh, no, yeah. hydro, hydro, hydro power, power plants. Um, but it's very small, wind, very small amount of wind power now. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so until the, many of the nuclear power plants became online, which is just in recent history over the 80s, late 80s and 90s, uh, Japan was almost completely dependent on oil. Right. And mostly from the Middle East. Right. And I guess over time with the wars, the Hormuz Straits, many of these issues coming up and just the cost of oil, They've had to come up with another solution, and the most obvious one is nuclear power. The the whole idea that Japan had to become uh, energy independent when it doesn't have a lot of what we would call well, it has virtually no hydrocarbon resources, except for they're trying to look right now at uh, at, at at methane hydrates, in the, the, in the, the deep frozen, seabed, yeah, right? yeah, deep 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 sea methane deposits that could be mined. There are a lot of, dip, of very, very uh, difficult environmental issues that have to be dealt with. with but there's those. plenty there. There's apparently. plenty of there all around the world, but mining them would, would release greenhouse gases. There's all kinds of issues there. But otherwise, there's almost nothing. Right. And they, but you want to be energy independent because they were shocked out of their mind by the first oil embargo in the 1970s, in the 1974-75. Uh, as a, and I'm sorry, and 73 in terms of the Yom Kippur War. That pushed nuclear power very hard. Mm -hmm. But it, not just nuclear power, the nuclear fuel cycle of taking spent fuel from the nuclear power plants and not burying it like many countries are planning to, uh, encasing it in glass and burying it deep, but actually reprocessing it. Reprocessing means plutonium. And Japan has had its nuclear fuel reprocessed up until now in Europe, both in England and in France. Sending most, most of it back? Uh, all, of it, all of it back. So Japan, in terms of plutonium, is a, a superpower mm -hmm. uh, with over 44 tons of, of plutonium in its stockpile. Uh, that's supposed to be burned either as mixed oxide fuel or in a uh, breeder reactor. The breeder reactor's program is dead. The um, none of the, the currently regular nuclear power plants is operating, so the mixed oxide fuel is also piling up. There's, and, and it requires a special licensing program in order to burn that mm -hmm. instead of the regular uranium pellets. All this was supposed to make Japan independent. What it, it has done instead is created a situation where Japan has all of this fissionable material no nuclear power plants running. It's about to put online its own reprocessor, mm -hmm. and a the populace wants out of the whole thing after hundreds of billions of dollars of investment. Mm -hmm. And for industry and for the government, they're gagging at this. They well, just, I mean, the nuclear industry is very strong here, but it, and it's hard to argue with the fact you've sunk so much money into it. To walk away is just really hard. Well, it's very much politically ingrained as well, isn't it? The reality is, though, that Japan will really never become self-sufficient in energy resources, right? I mean, before the, the 311 triple disaster, mm -hmm. Japan had 
about 33% of its overall power being generated by nuclear power. Mm -hmm. That shut everything down. And even now, without the nuclear reactors, um, they're importing oil and uh, the, the resources of the country are uh, continued dwindling. They need to restart those reactors. Yeah, we don't know how long it's going to be that we ha that uh, Japan will enjoy the benefits of low oil prices, which the entire globe, uh, aside from the oil producers, is enjoying right, right now. Uh, it's it's a, a huge uh, letdown actually for the government because one of their strongest arguments to for the restarts was that oil was so expensive. Now that mm -hmm. the price of oil has gone down and the use of bunker oil is not contributing as much to the trade deficit. And trade deficits in Japan are so rare as to cause panic when they happen. And they happened after 311 mm. constantly because Japan had to make up for the lost nuclear power. That argument has fallen to the wayside. And again, this week that marked a huge shift in the way the government was arguing about what we should be doing about nuclear power. Up until this week, they've been emphasizing strongly that it's in order to deal with our trade deficit. It's order to deal with this surge in natural gas and bunker oil that we've had to import to make up for the lost nuclear power plants. This last week, they turned the corner and went and decided to go with the other argument that makes a lot of sense, which is CO2 emissions. Mm -hmm. And wow, they have set a huge target in terms of CO2 emissions reductions. And the only way they're ever gonna get near that is if the nuclear power plants restart. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a pretty topical issue because, I mean, frequently, even in Tokyo, the winds that blow in from China are bringing all sorts of debris, some uh, the sand and uh, lots of uh, petrochemical uh, soot, and it just is really uncomfortable and it keeps people Focused yeah, here in Tokyo, it's actually we get, we get we get so little of it because we're on the western side of the uh, of the eastern side of the country. In the west, in Fukuoka, Fukuoka in, 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 in 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 Kyushu, there they share the same air as North China, mm -hmm. and their skies are gray. Here in Tokyo, they're blue, uh, which is the reverse, of course, of, of what's going on in China, where the the, the capital is is in, in wreathed in, in in pollution. But for the people of Kyushu and mm -hmm. western Japan, coal fired coal-based, fossil fuel-based, the cars of, of, of Beijing, all that, you know, needs to be replaced by an electric future. That electric future only comes through nuclear power. And China's nuclear program has not in any way slowed down. They have gone, seen Fukushima and they said, that's not our problem. Mm -hmm. This is very different, however, from what was a few weeks back, a big turning point in the Japanese, uh, well, for a lot of people, was the visit of Angela Merkel of Germany. The Germans, seeing Fukushima, got out of nuclear power and committed to that. And for the Japan anti-nuclear community, her visit was, here's the re person who understood. Our government doesn't understand mm -hmm. what the message of Fukushima was. Here she is. And she lectured, basically, the government of, of Japan in many ways. Mm -hmm. Or at least that's the way the anti-nuclear movement portrayed it. Well, I think the uh, the real thrust of the Nuclear Power Association, the, the, the power industry here, is it's safe. It is reliable. Um, accidents like this don't often happen, and it's unfortunate that Fukushima happened. That was a one-off. It'll never happen again. Please trust us. Let us continue. Let us turn the reactors back on. Let us build a bunch more. Yeah, they were lucky up until 
Fukushima. Uh, basically, they did have nuclear accidents. Uh, it was involving the reprocessing centers. Very few. Very few, but nevertheless, they did have fatal accidents. They had the ridiculous criticality issue at one place where there was a, a, a gauge where water was supposed to, carrying plutonium, was supposed to go through a set of pipes. And the workers, because it was a pain in the butt, just started using buckets. Uh -huh. And because they put a sufficient amount of, of sufficiently enriched water into the system, they started a criticality within the system, which would have never happened if they used the equipment properly. That happened. And that but they were wearing rubber boots. <sighs> In one of the, I don't I remember if both of them died or, or one of them died, but it, it was a fatal criticality yes. issue, and it was immensely stupid, and mm -hmm. it, it made the nuclear. But the, the nuclear power plants, up until Fukushima, could always argue, oh, you know, Three Mile Island, that'll never happen never here. Happen. Chern Chernobyl, never happen here. That's that's those incompetence. We look at how look at how safe we are, mm -hmm. right? And. At when the great Niigata earthquake happened and shook the world's largest nuclear facility, which is the, the Kashiwazaki facility with seven operating nuclear power plants on a single site, uh, it shut that down, but there was no radiation release. Things fell inside and, and looked kind of messy, but it seemed to argue that you're mm -hmm. right, the safety is really great. Fukushima threw, blew all that. Away. Well, one of the other issues that you, you raised when you talked about the issues that are occupying your thoughts right now was the perhaps the manipulation of the nuclear power industry to build um, these plants in localities that didn't have a cohesive community sense. Mm -hmm. They couldn't really defend themselves against the onslaught of money, of buying land, of building community centers and that sort of thing. And it seems that that's a thread that just runs through this whole story. And it's been picked up by the foreign press as well, that in Japan, the, there appears to be a very tight collusion between the regulators and the industry. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but that there is a, a very tight cap on how information is distributed, how, how things are explained. And we saw that at, at Fukushima, even the week after that, there was a nuclear explosion. And you wouldn't hear about that. And you only heard about that, um, you know, weeks and weeks later. Yeah, the, the, the disaster at Fukushima began even before the first hydrogen explosion when the prime minister, prime minister of the time, Prime Minister Khan, felt he could not trust the people around him giving him scientific advice in the Kante. He could not trust the power company for its information from the site. So he felt it necessary the day after this massive earthquake and tsunami to fly and personally talk to the plant manager the plant manager who has since passed away, and we, we're, we've lost a great in, source of information on just what happened when the prime minister came and asked for him, you know, what, what's the going on? What can I do for you? What do you need to do? Mm -hmm. uh, that broke the back of the nuclear power industry's claim that we were in control, we know what we're doing, we're gonna be able to handle this. No, they couldn't. And Revelation after revelation has come up, not only of collusion between the regulators, and, and in fact, the Japanese regulatory agency was pulled out of the Keizai Sangyo Show, the, the, uh, the, the economics and, and industry ministry, and made an independent agency because it was just not trustworthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there was long time hiding of facts, there was long time uh, 
commitment to nuclear power that was far, far more than was prudent. It was really destroyed every shred of trust that the people had in the industry. Mm. And you have to admit, this is really quite astonishing. And in a place where you don't have tens of thousands of people surrounding the Kante, but it's only a few hundred mm. on a given Friday night when they have the anti-nuclear rallies. It's, it's really minor. Nevertheless, the public image and the public sentiment toward nuclear power, even as their power bills climb because of this imported oil and gas, is still strongly against the restarts at all at all levels. Yes, well, about 80% in public opinion surveys, about 80% of the entire nation of Japan is opposed to restarting the the reactors and uh, <clears throat> or at least doing continue. it fast, yeah. Right. Uh, or maybe some of them are a little bit, you know, hedgy. Oh, maybe somewhere down the line, but not now. Mm -hmm. You know, when that is, nobody knows. Right. Right. Well, this distrust of of the government and of certification and safety agencies that say this is safe. We've run this test. It's ready to go. Let's turn on the switch. And a suit being filed and the court finding that yes. We really don't trust that uh, certification process, and no, you can't turn it on. Yeah, that happened a week ago in Fukui, with the Fukui District Court decision coming down that the certification process is insufficient, that safety has not been established, and that the nuclear power plant cannot restart. It was the first time the Fukui mm -hmm. District Court in history had ever issued an injunction. And the NHK Evening News felt that they had to do a special section. What is an injunction? Because uh. this is such a rare occurrence. This week, the, uh, the Kagoshima District Court, which has jurisdiction over the Sendai plant, the first plant that it was certified, gave an opposite ruling, saying, yes, the, the procedure done by the nuclear regulators is okay. It's, it's more than sufficient. The, the plant can go forward. So we have these two decisions. The, the Fukui decision probably won't last in the next level, in the high court mm -hmm. level. It will probably be overturned. The, defend, the uh, plaintiffs there will say, we take it to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court will probably look at it and say, um, it's, it's the matter of the regulators should be dealt with in the lower courts, or, or maybe come with a decision even saying that the, the regulated agency has done its job. Mm -hmm. The chances that this Fukui decision will be held up and will serve as a, a way of holding back nuclear restarts. Probably not going to happen. But up until now, the government has never had anything to fear from the courts. Right. Now, now they have to have at least a little cautious well, feeling. Well, the, the nuclear, in, I mean, it's not a homegrown industry, is it? I mean, the nuclear industry really grew out of countries who had nuclear power probably uh, for military purposes. United States, Russia, but the Japanese, the plants that they have for producing nuclear power are not homegrown plants. They're basically imported or run or uh, designed by um, foreign foreign companies. Basically, they were, they were, the two designs were basically uh, from United States or from Canada, mm -hmm. the can-do design. But of course, the Japanese adapted them. And now, whether it's a part, because it's a part of the national export strategy, or because it's a part of the national energy strategy, with numbers or not, Japanese companies are one of the few companies that are acquiring nuclear divisions of other companies around the world. So that Toshiba here 
wants to be a big player in nuclear power, even as in Japan, it cannot do anything. It cannot sell a new plant. It cannot build a new plant. Well, they're going to be restarting the, the building of nuclear power plants just to maintain the 22% level that they've talked about. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be happening in Yamaguchi Prefecture, in Aomori Prefecture. Again, prefectures well away from the population centers. So in terms of, of safety, they will be in fairly good locations. But nevertheless, those will only be a few reactors. And we have a whole generation of 40-year-old reactors that are coming up for relicensing. Re and in most cases, the power companies are saying, we want out. Mm -hmm. They don't want to deal with the retrofitting of those, of those plants. Okay, but I mean, let's be real. Is it not inevitable that the Japanese have to have nuclear power to sustain the level of growth? I mean, even since the nuclear disaster of 311, consumption of energy has increased not decreased, it's actually increased through industry and through personal consumption as well. That's not being facilitated by more plants being, being produced or even the plants that are online producing you know, at capacity. But it's been very hard to argue that because the, the economy hasn't fallen into a hole. Anti-nuclear activists say quite reasonably, look, we had way too much capacity in terms of a normal mix of nuclear power plants, backup plants that run on fossil fuels, the uh, solar solar energy, the hydroelectric. We had way too much capacity. We had a disaster. We shut down all the nuclear. And because we had all of that extra capacity, we've made, done fine. The only place where we've, we've blown it is in terms of our carbon emissions. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the economy is chugging, chugging along. Uh, Industrialists see it a completely different way. They see that the power companies are bleeding red ink uh, somewhere. Uh, it's not in their, their quarterly figures. All of them, except one, the, the uh, Kyushu Denryoku, which runs the Sendai plant, the first plant that's going to be restarted, all the other ones are even Tokyo Electric, the, own, the operators and owners of the uh, Fukushima complex. They're booking profits, mm -hmm. right? And... It's been, a, it's been an argument that has not gone forward in the government's and big business's way. Yeah, well, something has to happen. I mean, it's supply and demand. If the demand is high and the supply is low, that will be reflected in costs. And the costs do increasingly um, begin to show up on people's uh, balance sheets. But once you go, once, okay, it, it, there's a real misunderstanding if you stay only in Tokyo. If you take a train, a long distance train, maybe not the Shinkansen, but a, a, one of the, the local trains, a local express. You start, once you get 50, 60 kilometers out, passing all these solar farms mm -hmm. on the sides of the, of, of, the, uh, of the train line that weren't there five years ago. And one of the results of the 311 disaster was the passage of the special feed-in tariff, the FIT, mm -hmm. which made it possible for people installing solar farms to receive a huge bonus in terms of their, the, the way they would be repaid by power companies for supplying power at a much higher rate than geothermal, than wind. So we have just lots of former rice paddies absolutely carpeted 
with these solar farms. Mm -hmm. And so you, you it's a, a, and currently elsewhere in the world, solar isn't doing so well, but in Japan, it's still doing very well, so well that the power companies, if they accepted under the fit all of the generating capacity that is been submitted to them in contract form, it would be the, the equivalent of 80 nuclear power plants. Now, they don't have the ability to pay for that power at that rate. There has been a lot of pressure to reduce the fit tremendously and bring in other forms of renewable energy. But those things are there. They've already been installed and more of them are on the way. Mm. So again, the argument for nuclear power has become a bit weaker. And that might be, in fact, the reason why the government finally came down and with this number, 22% for the base load. Well, it was about 30, 33% before the triple disaster. Then it fell down, probably around 20, 18%. And now with all of them cut off, it's, it's not even on the radar. Well, you start, as you said, with the, 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 the 55, 54 original power plants. Right. Then we lose the six at Fukushima because they're gonna mothball five and, reactor five and reactor six. They're gonna take out the whole thing even though they are still functional. That's six there. You're going to take out five, maybe six, in terms of retirement for being over 40. You're already down 29, 30 plants in that region, okay? Mm -hmm. So the actual capacity of the remaining plants may just exactly fit that 20% and be no more. Mm -hmm. That what we were living off of, 33% nuclear generated before, it, we won't have the, the capacity to make that. And so that's the reason for this government reducing by over 10%. So what's the future? The future is hard because we only really have 10 to 12 plants that are in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. uh, beyond 10 to 12 plants, you start getting into siting issues, you start getting into age issues that make it harder for the government and uh, set up a longer time schedule for the government to okay, well, the, the independent agency to okay the uh, restarts. At the same time, we have currently a much lower level of pressure due to the price of oil. How long we enjoy that, how long this glut continues, All right. we don't know. So it, it really depends on how much a world recovery affects the price of oil is one. How much of that extra cost is passed on to consumers because consumers have not yet been hit fully, even a few years down the line with the costs of this increase in the use of hydrocarbons in the it, replacing nuclear power. And the third thing is, is the stability of the current government. And in that regards, the most recent local election results and the ones that are going to happen this weekend on Sunday seem to indicate that Mr. Abe is all powerful, the Abe administration is stable, that there is going to be a very strong governmental uh, push for nuclear restarts, even over the objections of locals. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the default then is fossil fuels, is it not? Fossil fuels to motor the vast majority of Japan's energy needs. But, but where would they come from, in your view? Well, it's got to come from the, the Middle East, where it's always come from. The, the Japanese are the major consumers of Middle Eastern oil. Which brings up the relationship that you brought up at the beginning of this show, which is 
the relationship with the United States on a security level. Exactly, and the revision of the Constitution and Article 9, and can we support and facilitate the United States or any of our allies in the event of an attack or some sort of a shipping uh, embargo going on in the Strait of Hormuz. Yeah, and that's the, the discussions that have been going on. They've been temporarily suspended during the month of April because of the local elections. But May, once again, after we get past the Golden Week holidays, starting around May 7, the Kometo and the, the ruling LDP get back to, to their discussions of what the revision of the security guidelines is going to entail. Mm -hmm. How is Article 9, which of course the Prime Minister wants to change, but can't do anything about just yet, mm -hmm. how Article 9 and the government's decision last year on, on July the 1st that Japan can uh, use collective security, can engage in it, can uh, partake in the right to collective security guaranteed in the UN Charter, how it can help the United States and the big one is a blockade of the, of the Hormuz Straits. Japan would send minesweepers, mm -hmm. and that would be even if there were shooting going on, which Japan has never done before. Right. It seems like now we're talking about something that's very um, remote, removed from the nuclear issue, but all of these issues are somehow intertwined. I mean, the fact that the, the prime minister is going to Washington, D.C. The, the prime minister went to Jakarta, he met with the premier of, of China. They seem to have a, a little bit better uh, chemistry going on there. Mm -hmm. These things all, you know, they all make sense. They all have a political impact. The, the, the issues that not just um, define the, the nuclear issue, but they have spillover effects everywhere else. There's lots of news that's going on that, um, that make one step back and wonder where this is all going to end. In the case of the, the visit to the United States, it, the timing is really bad, but there's nothing anyone can do about the timing. Abe will be speaking on the emperor's birthday. Mm -hmm. uh, some Korean-American groups have a problem with that. But more importantly for the United States, the TPP, Trans-Pacific Partnership negotiations, are still deadlocked. Right. And in the security issue, the, the LDP and the Kometo have not produced the legal basis for this collective security behavior that... Abe is going to go to President Obama and talk about, supposedly, and go before Congress and talk about, he, he really doesn't have the deliverable, mm -hmm. the gift, the omiyage to, to bring with him, but he's going to be talking about it anyway. So the, the sequencing, for, for, for this administration, sequencing has been very important and they've been really good at it. Here, everything got all jumbled up and that, eventually you have to put that back on the prime minister for calling the election back in December, right. which threw the entire legislative calendar off for the month. Well, I mean, uh, next week is Golden Week. We have elections on Sunday. Mm -hmm. We enter into Golden Week towards the end of next week. It'll be for one week, and that is a time when many politicians, the Prime Minister included, typically travel to Washington, D.C., meet constituents in, uh, in political areas in Washington. People are coming back to, to Tokyo um, at various times of the year, too. But Really, during Golden Week is the time when the Japanese politicians travel throughout the world. Yeah, and, and but particularly to Washington. Yes. And this time, the prime minister is one of them. It, it's true. It, the, the Golden Week holidays have usually been the time in the legislative calendar when the diet just sort of 
they all head out, out yes, of the country. Right. And it doesn't matter whether they're LDP or DPJ or, or any of the, the only people who probably stay home are the communists. Well, it's, it's, a, it's an ideal time. It is spring. Washington, D.C. is beautiful. The cherry trees that were a gift from Japan, what, 50 years ago? They're in full bloom? Yeah, it's about, maybe it's a century ago. I'm not from Washington, I don't know. Oh. But uh, they've been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, uh, the relationship is a long-term mm-hmm. one. And it's exceptionally warm, not necessarily because of Mr. Abe, and perhaps it's a little bit cooler because of Mr. Abe's personal views regarding history, but in terms of the geopolitics, Mr. Abe's being the first Japanese prime minister to address Congress is sending a message throughout this region, Japan's a geopolitical player, we value Japan, you in the region may have problems with Mr. Abe's personal, personal views, but Japan, it is a player. Do you think his reception in the United States will be somewhat cool? Not at the political level, but overall, you think that will be somewhat cool? I think in the White House, there may be problems. Outside the White House, there are a lot of people who want a better U.S.-Japan relationship and are willing to look the other way on certain issues having to do with history so as to push the economic relationship through the TPP and other avenues, particularly in New York City, where the financial industry is located. They love Abenomics. It's a great way to make money for them. It may not be great for Japanese people, but for, mm-hmm. for people in international finance, it's been a wonderful ride. Uh, they're for it. The defense industry is clearly for it. Uh, anything that has to do with Japan's becoming more of a military act, militarily active sure. power, sure, they love mm-hmm. that. But at the popular level, listen, I think, let's revisit this next week in, on Tokyo on Fire. And... Um, see what kind of um, popular appeal the prime minister's visit has. And I believe that it will have a tremendous popular upswell. I think he will be received very favorably, and I think uh, his speeches will be well-received. It depends on how much control they have over the, uh, the, the venue. I, you have to understand that the prime minister right now here in Japan, is he's not seeing the people here either. Mm-hmm. He just recently had his uh, cherry blossom viewing party at Shinjuku Gyoen. My and invitation got lost in the mail. Um, so did mine. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, was, it was like they invited groupies. They all were just, and, just and, and, giggling and, and screaming. It's the prime minister. It was just it was all it was a lot really, of movie stars. It was just really it was really the, the really really was hyper. Yes, and uh, I hope he doesn't get a sense that wow the people are really into me because that was a selected audience. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. It's it, he 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 wasn't going out in the streets. He was within the confines. You know, it's it's fenced off. Sure, invitation and, only. Invitation only. And the, the, the Conte is very clear about who gets in and who doesn't. This is all, you know, might just be going to the prime minister's head. And we have to be, I mean, I was shocked this week when at the 60th anniversary of the Bandung Conference, which, which is why he was in Jakarta for mm-hmm. that ceremony and for that chance to make a speech. Oh, do you hear that? Yes. Oh, it's election season, isn't it? I almost forgot. <laughs> <laughs> like we could ever forget. <laughs> yes, this is the way it's been for all the month of April. Yes, it has. Vote for me. My name is... What is your name? I didn't quite hear it. I didn't get it yeah. either. <laughs> well, it is election season in Japan, and it is unmistakable. 
with the sound trucks that travel throughout all of the neighborhoods, every road that can be traversed by a truck with a loudspeaker balanced on its roof is going to get this message multiple times throughout the day. <laughs> but getting back to what we were saying, uh, at the Bandung conference, he delivered a speech, basically what was supposed to be a carbon copy of a speech that had been given 10 years ago by, by Prime, then Prime Minister Koizumi. Uh, on the anniversary of the Bandung Conference. Now, the Bandung Conference was, in 1955, sort of a, a really edgy kind of thing where the heads of state of Asia and Africa got together. And Japan, even though it was a, a U.S. ally under the, the first security treaty, there was a, we now live on the, the revised treaty of 1960, but even though he was, they were in the U.S. camp, they came to this conference, mm -hmm. which was supposed to be of non-aligned nations, nations not participating in the Cold War. And Japan was clearly vacillating between whether we're on the U.S. side or whether we can be with the, with the, the developing world. And later on in the 1960s, Mr. Abe's grandfather, Mr. Kishi, said, Bam, we're going with the U.S. This is where we are. We're going to be, on, we're going to be part of the West. But now, Abe came to this conference with, this, with his speech, and instead of putting in the word apology, Owabi, he crossed that out, and it was not there. The, the strongest sense that you got of a remorse for World War II, for the invasion of China, for the colonization of, of various countries of Southeast Asia, was the word hansei, which there's a huge argument going on in the Japanese uh, analysis community what does that mean? It means, well, reflection. reflection and, right. and, and, and I'm on record as saying that it means I recognize that this is a topic mm -hmm. and nothing more. Right. Uh, some people say that it's equivalent to apology. It's a big, diff, big question and that reflects very badly on the, the 70th anniversary speech that's coming up. Right. It, it's made me much more worried about it than I was a week ago. Now I'm really concerned. Yes, well, I understand that. And sometimes this, the prime minister is sending signals that we pick up because we're watching very closely. And other times people are sending the prime minister signals too, aren't they? I'm talking about the drone. Oh, okay, that's a signal that was sent. And it was sent very directly and, and very- Right onto his roof. Yes, yeah. it was. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the, the details of this story have only just begun. The, the National Police Agency, understandably, doesn't want to talk too much about it because drones are cheap. Mm -hmm. And they, could, they, be, they would be maybe dealing with dozens of them per day if people really thought this was a great way to protest the government's policies. Just to catch people up, a drone was found on the rooftop of the prime minister's residence yesterday? Yeah. Right? And it was not crashed. I think it was probably purposely landed there. They don't know how many days it had been there. It had a, uh, a nuclear symbol painted on it and a small capsule full of water or some sort or of Or dirt substance. or something. Again, the, the, the police are being very cagey, mm -hmm. being very, very careful not to tell too much because this is such an easy incident to copycat. Mm -hmm. Drones are just too inexpensive. They're, they're too easy to fly. There's no real way of shooting them down. And it's just, you're not going to do it in the middle of, of Tokyo. You're not going to have guys firing away at these things. Where are they going to find so, the firearms? Well, they're going to have, you know, they have, you know, the police that are around do have sidearms, 
But, you know, it's not like they have anti-aircraft. They do maybe have an anti-aircraft <laughs> battery somewhere. But uh, maybe at the... At, at, well, the point is they don't know when it landed. It was probably over the last week or so. Uh, people aren't always up on the, the rooftop. They actually were just showing some new employees. This is the rooftop. This is downstairs. And that's when they found it. And this is the security-obsessed yes. administration. So that, that part of it... The mocking part hasn't started yet because mm -hmm. this is serious. The technology of drones really should make people think, okay, anybody could have a small-scale cruise missile, mm -hmm. basically, that you could send into a window, that you could send onto a roof, that could have something that is dangerous aboard it, and there's almost nothing you can do right. about it. Well, apparently these drones, and this particular one was manufactured in China. I don't think that has any implications, but it just was manufactured in China. But not that the news won't make a big deal no, of about course it. Not. Oh, no, but, no. But also in their circuitry, they have areas where um, they're flown by GPS mm -hmm. that they can't go into apparently. Mm -hmm. I, I imagine those could be easily hacked, but apparently the prime minister's residence is not on one of those off, off zone limits. Mm -hmm. But airports, um, uh, areas of, of, of security, that sort of thing, are, are built into their, uh, their IC chips, apparently. We can't underestimate the creativity of people who want to do malicious sure. things. Sure. And uh, my view is that the technology is extremely dangerous, mm -hmm. but there's, there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, what are you going to do to fortify the, the, the roofs, put bars on all the, all the windows? Maybe that's the way it's going to go. Or outlaw drones or, you know, there's always this overreaching and this this overprotection that we frequently are faced with with, uh, with the administrations of, of any government, but uh, in particular with this administration. Well, the, it's also, it, it's kind of trendy also. There is, of course, in Japan, this love of, the, of robots. And these are robotic mm -hmm. devices. And, and they're, so they're kind of cool and scary at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and the, that's, I guess, why they're pushing the China angle so that it's really scary rather than just a cool scary. But uh, this has uh, not been the, the big social or, or big uh, technological change that it has been in other countries. You don't see, for example, in Japan, these beautiful, uh, wonderful videos that we've been seeing on YouTube going all over the world. with, with The golf course, the canyons, the seaside. The, ca the caves What in Vietnam. All these beautiful, beautiful things being shot with drones. You don't see that for Japan. And that's uh, been a kind of a mystery, why not? So this, uh, this incident has suddenly raised consciousness about drones, yeah. and, but there's no Japanese word for it. It's, they're called drone, right. but uh, maybe at some point they'll figure out a, a Chinese character uh, <laughs> version of this so that they can, but right now it's just a borrowed word. Well, let's, let's try and wrap this up. Sure. Our, our burning issue today is Japan's nuclear power. And we've uh, a message was sent to the prime minister directly by a drone that was painted with the symbol of the nuclear uh, of nuclear radiation. And, and with it, a little vial of something that contains cesium. Which and was, apparently which it, it came from Fukushima. Apparently so. Okay. Um, in addition to that, we we're just talking briefly about robots and drones and, and that sort of thing. There were two robots that were sent into the uh, failed reactor in Fukushima. We didn't talk much about that. But that is an amazing piece of technology. But the really interesting thing that, that strikes me is that although it's a harsh condition, we know it's a harsh condition, those two very expensive, uh, elegant robots 
didn't last more than 10 minutes. It's, a, it's pretty harsh in there. And when you saw the video of the interior and saw the steam just pouring out from the melted fuel that, that you don't, it's not, they don't look down at the melted fuel, but you can just, the, the, this, this gusts of steam going up, that's just, you're saying, God, it's terrible in there. Mm -hmm. and, and then they start, they, they, they show the, the, the radiation levels, one sievert. Wow, <laughs> uh, this is really, really harsh, and there's no way that anything but a robot can survive for even a few minutes, and it seems that these ones... Wow. Well, that, that issue is going to go on and on. It's going to be dozens of years before they can actually stop that. It's still leaking into the ocean. Um, it's affecting the groundwater, apparently. The whole land surrounding that plant has been leveled so that they can have these tanks to store the spent, uh, the, the contaminated water and the contaminated uh, product that they're they're continually yeah. pumping out of there. And beyond that, they've, they've flattened the land for for hundreds of square miles, basically, for bags of soil and, and leaves and all kinds of things from other prefectures from all over that they're going to put in this massive burial zone of radioactive materials. Mm -hmm. Uh, that that's only started. And I was, you know, I, I was doing some calculations on how many truckloads this would be. Uh, at the current rate, it will take a million truck trips for the first phase. You know, a million trucks going back and forth on these narrow country roads, which is all that's there. It, the, the, the scale of, what, of, the, of the cleanup is astonishing. And it's going to be for decades. You're right. It's going to be for decades. And there is no promise that this won't happen again. I mean, even if they don't start up the nuclear reactors, there's still a risk that even without them started, uh, some sort of a nuclear, uh, some sort of a catastrophe, an, another tsunami, and they're predicted to happen, you know, within the next 70 years, they give it a rather high percentage that, you know, Tokyo, Osaka, further down south, it will be uh, affected by something catastrophic, and, um, all of the nuclear reactors, they need to have a source of water where they can cool these, these nuclear plants down, uh, are on the seacoast. Almost all of them, you know, and the, the, the Hamaoka plant in Shizuoka Prefecture, which Prime Minister, which before all the others were shut down for maintenance, he immediately shut down that mm -hmm. plant because it's just too low as compared to sea level. It, it's right on the, the Pacific coast, so that if there were a tsunami, it would be completely wiped out. That thing is, you know, still on the, on the books as being possibly on the restarts. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be a hard fight. Yes, well, it's going to continue. Any closing remarks before we wrap up today's burning issue? I'm just sort of, uh, well, in a solemn kind of mood because of, of your assessment. It's, this is really a, this is really, this, nuclear power is a tough one. Nuclear power is exceedingly tough. I think they will overcome it but I don't know if they'll overcome it with nuclear power. So with that, I'd like to wrap up today's burning issue, nuclear power in Japan. Thank you for watching Tokyo on Fire. You can download our podcast on iTunes or you can watch on YouTube. Please send your comments and recommendations to us at comments at tokyoonfire.com. You can also post your comments to us on Twitter by using hashtag Tokyo on Fire. Love to have your comments. Please participate in the discussion. Join us next week. Thank you very much.